Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. With this pandemic, this government has to be judged on its incompetence, its venality, its ignorance, and it will add to our costs and our dangers absolutely in a <laughs> enormously depressing and significant way. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan. We're in the midst of a corona crisis, and we have a president who can't or won't lead, and an economic system that's just not fit for purpose. When this pandemic started, our Secretary of Health and Human Services was talking about how the private markets would organize the response. Unbelievable. That's my guest, the world-famous economist and author, Professor Jeffrey Sachs. So, on today's Deconstructed, it's capitalism versus the coronavirus. 254 people die from coronavirus in China on the deadliest day of the outbreak so far. If millions of people contract the coronavirus, the death toll could still run into the hundreds of thousands. The coronavirus outbreak is worse than any terror attack. The terror of the virus is increasing at every moment. Some people are, are predicting the apocalypse. It is difficult to describe, summarize, or express with sufficient outrage the many myriad ways in which the Trump administration has screwed up beyond belief in response to the coronavirus pandemic, as the World Health Organization officially classified it on Wednesday. Remember, lots of countries are dealing with the political, economic, public health fallout from this virus, but none have handled it as badly as the United States, as the Trump administration. The denialism about the scale of the problem, the failure to test in anywhere near sufficient numbers, even now. The earlier refusal by this president to allow Americans back onto American soil simply because he didn't want the numbers to go up and make him look bad. I like the numbers being where they are. I don't need to have the numbers double because of one ship. If they want to take them off, they'll take them off. But if that happens, all of a sudden your 240 is obviously going to be a much higher number. And probably the 11 will be a higher number. According to stats collected by Business Insider, as of March 8th, the US had a testing rate of five tests per million people. That compares to 347 tests per million in the UK and more than three and a half thousand tests per million people in South Korea. More than three and a half thousand the South Koreans are even testing people at drive throughs drive throughs How on earth did the United States of America allow any other country to beat them at drive throughs I mean, seriously. But look, it turns out putting a former reality TV star, a thin-skinned narcissist and egomaniac in charge of the United States government and then surrounding him with anti-government extremists isn't the best move when the country they're supposed to be governing gets hit by a public health crisis like one we've never seen before in our lifetimes. People are dying. The virus is spreading. Public health professionals are sounding the alarm bell because it's going to get worse, much worse. And this 
is the response from the President of the United States. Now the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus. You know that, right? Coronavirus. One of my people came up to me and said, Mr. President, they tried to beat you on Russia, Russia, Russia. That didn't work out too well. They tried the impeachment hoax. It's all turning. They lost. It's all turning. Think of it. And this is their new hoax. But look, Trump knows what he's doing. Remember, remember what he said in his visit to the CDC. You know, my uncle was a great person. He was at MIT. He taught at MIT for, I think, like a record number of years. He was a great super genius, Dr. John Trump. I like this stuff. I really get it. People are surprised that I understand it. Every one of these doctors said, how do you know so much about this? Maybe I have a natural ability. Maybe I should have done that instead of running for president. This is the guy who's in charge, who our lives depend upon. Well, actually, he's put Mike Pence in charge, which isn't much better given Pence is a spineless sycophant whose priority is pleasing the dear leader, not protecting public health. Pence is also an anti-science extremist who thinks smoking doesn't cause cancer and carbon emissions don't cause climate change. By the way, what's been so depressing is seeing government officials, including respected scientists like the head of the CDC, Dr. Robert Redfield, slathering praise on Trump and trying to keep him happy rather than speaking truth to power and conveying the urgency of this problem and the fact that the United States is way, way behind where it should be. Here's Redfield welcoming Trump to the CDC. Well, I think I, first I want to thank you for your decisive leadership in helping us you know, put public health first. I also want to thank you for coming here today and, and sort of encouraging and bringing energy to the men and women that you see that work every day to try to keep America safe. So I think that's the most important thing I want to say. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, I think I feel my breakfast coming up. One good thing, though, that Redfield did say this week. The truth is we've not invested, in, we've underinvested in the public health so labs. There aren't enough people to There's run not the enough test. equipment, there's not enough people, there's not enough internal capacity, there's no surge capacity. Yes, U.S. governments, whether Democratic or Republican, but especially Republican, have underinvested in public health, in public infrastructure, in R&D, in scientific discovery. And that's what I want to talk about on the show today, because the coronavirus is really highlighting, showing up, the deficiencies in capitalism. It really is. Especially the US economy, the US hardcore capitalist model, which is just not geared for a crisis like this. I mean, not just in terms of scientific research, but also, guess what? It turns out that not having universal healthcare, not having federally guaranteed paid sick leave for workers, and allowing Big Pharma to lead the way on vaccines and the pricing of vaccines isn't the best move when you're confronted with a pandemic like the coronavirus, which requires people to be able to get tested quickly, which requires people to self-quarantine and stay home from work when they suspect they might have it, which requires everyone to get vaccinated eventually in order to stop the spread. There's a great piece in The Atlantic this week by staff writer Peter Nicholas headlined, There are no libertarians in an epidemic, which is well worth your time. Peter writes, and I quote, Donald Trump's aim is to brand his opponent an avatar of socialism, whether it's Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders. But the COVID-19 outbreak demonstrates the emptiness of these sorts of ideological labels. Just as there are no atheists in foxholes, in a national emergency, there's no truly laissez-faire government. 
Oh, yes. Totally agree. Another good piece on this subject over at the CNN website that's worth reading, specifically on the need for a, quote, public health approach, not a private sector-led approach, to tackling the virus and producing a vaccine, is by Jeffrey Sachs, professor and director of the Center for Sustainable Development at Columbia University, who's also a former advisor to Senator Bernie Sanders and a former advisor on poverty and development to the United Nations Secretary General. Its headline, his piece's headline is The Trump Administration's Ludicrous Approach to the Coronavirus Vaccine. And I'm pleased to say that Professor Jeffrey Sachs joins me now. Jeffrey Sachs, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Good to be with you. Jeff, there's been a lot of talk about the public health implications of this pandemic, as the WHO now calls the coronavirus. There's also been a lot of talk about the implications for the stock market, for the economy. I want to take a step back with you and ask a bigger question um, about whether or not there's something about capitalism and specifically the American neoliberal model of capitalism, which makes this country and this economy particularly ill-suited and ill-equipped to deal with a health crisis like this? We don't have a public health system. We have a for-profit private system. We have tens of millions of people that have no health coverage. We have people that have no primary care physicians. We have no systematic testing. We are scrambling, uh, and it has been weeks with this virus uh, multiplying, with the pandemic spreading in the United States, and effectively, uh, so far, with essentially zero response by the government. Uh, We're just way, way behind. And it reflects uh, the institutions and the mindset, because even when this pandemic started, our Secretary of Health and Human Services was talking about how the private Markets would organize the response. Yes. Unbelievable. Yes. And I, and I do want to come back to Alex Azar in a moment. Just you mentioned the kind of lack of coverage, which, of, which is, of course, where the mind goes first. Uh, how much is a glaring lack of universal health care in the US going to further exacerbate this crisis, especially compared to other countries which are also dealing with the coronavirus? I, I'm from the UK, which has a national health service, but they don't have this problem that the US especially has. I was uh, just speaking uh, with uh, somebody who was saying uh, that they could not get information from their state uh, public health uh, officials. Uh, They were told to go to primary care doctors that they don't have, uh, that there is no testing being done. Uh, This is, of course, an anecdote, but it's what we're hearing from all over the United States right now. I'm hearing it from doctors in hospitals without the facilities, without the testing uh, kits, without uh, the advice from uh, public health officials. It's uh, rather shocking. Uh, Just this week, uh, the vice president refused to take questions uh, at the White House about whether the uninsured uh, would have access to the vaccine if and when a vaccine is is produced, uh, which is pretty shocking, as you say, and shoddy. Uh, What's also amazing, and this is not really the show or the discussion to get deep into party politics, but it is worth noting that at a time when everyone realizes the dire implications of not having access to healthcare or not being able to pay for healthcare, the presidential candidate who you've advised and who's adv- who's advocating universal single payer healthcare is losing, not winning in elections, which says a lot about the political culture in this country. It is odd because an overwhelming uh, proportion of Americans want uh, 
universal health coverage. Uh, yes. Survey after survey shows this. Uh, we have a very peculiar politics in this country. So, so what, Jeff, what do you do about a political, economic, social culture that, as you've seen over the decades, kind of arguing about this stuff, studying this stuff, that seems in part so viscerally anti-government, so anti-the public sector, anti-the public realm. It's all about free markets, all about sturdy individualism. And then a crisis like this hits. Of course, that's not really the public's attitude. This is uh, the lobbying speaking. This is the plutocracy. Yes. The public wants something different, but they can't find it. And then when you have a candidate like Bernie Sanders, who presents rather straightforwardly the right approach, the entire mainstream media is aghast, (laughs) is shocked, uh, and uh, does nothing but denigrate those policy recommendations. So we are deeply confused Mm. uh, in the United States. Our system has been failing for, I would say, uh, 40 years because it really started with Ronald Reagan as president. It's not just uh, shocking to watch politically, but it is at the point of grave danger for the American people. I think the word you used that stood out there was confused because there is a lot of confusion among, you know, people in the media and in politics who, on the one hand, as you say, they will batter a Bernie Sanders uh, or Elizabeth Warren even for talking about universal health care or single payer. How will you pay for it? Why do we need it? And then those are the same people who are also demanding the Trump administration do something now. Uh, that, you know, the government should step in and do something and they don't see the kind of the contradiction there. It, it was like the famous sign uh, a few years ago, uh, government, keep your hands off of my Medicare. Yes, <laughs> so. during, during the Tea Party era. And I, exactly. I want to come back to the Tea Party in a moment. Peter Nicholas, uh, who's a staff writer at The Atlantic, uh, wrote a rather good piece this week under the rather apt headline, there are no libertarians in an epidemic, uh, talking about the ideological corner that Republicans have backed themselves into by always denouncing government interventions of any kind as socialism, as communism, as Marxism. Now you have a Trump administration which has to basically lead some form of large-scale government action to prevent this getting worse. How are they going to thread that needle? Do you think they're even going to bother? Well, I think it's also like uh, Bernie Sanders always says, there is definitely socialism for the rich. Yes, uh, I recall just in a, in a different episode uh, in September... 2008, uh, when the financial crisis brought to us by uh, our friendly Wall Street banks uh, led to uh, a a massive financial debacle, there was the Wall Street Journal uh, saying, oh, we have to remember market failures. This is the time for a bailout. So there's And now we're talking about a bailout for hotel industry, for the aviation industry. Trump's very happy to bail out his friends in, in, in those big companies. Well, he actually talked about, uh, if you really want to get your head spinning, talked about bailing out the fracking industry, (laughs) the fracking, fracking. Top of the list of what you think of when you think of a public health crisis. That's it. You made the good point about, you know, the mindset. It's uh, you can't make this stuff up. The Republicans are asked, what are you going to do about this crisis? And their response is tax cuts, which is their response to everything. Uh, They've been pitching this idea uh, this week of $700 billion of payroll tax cuts as an economist by training. What's your response to that? Well, it's so absurd uh, that maybe it will open eyes that (laughs) this whole idea by the way, both parties, I have to say, of stimulus, tax cuts, uh, turning dials when we have 
deep structural crises like a pandemic, like climate change, meaning that it's not a matter of gimmicks. It's not a matter of aggregate demand, to use the jargon of macroeconomists. It's focusing on stopping a pathogen from spreading. It's saving Hmm. lives. Uh, It is uh, taking public health measures. And similarly, on uh, climate change or uh, other grave crises that we face, it's not a matter of uh, a stimulus bill or uh, boosting uh, uh, the economy. It's a matter of focusing on solutions, yes. making the spending and investments directed toward this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Specific problems or the regulations directed toward the specific problems. We haven't been doing that for a long, long yeah. time. And, and and what's interesting, of course, is when they do pitch these kind of tax cuts, no one asks, how are you going to pay for that? We spent the last year asking various Democratic presidential candidates how are they going to pay for their various policies. But, you know, crisis hits, Republicans call for unfunded tax cuts. Here's, you talk about solutions, uh, a rather extreme solution, I think it's fair to say, pitched by Rick Santelli, the stock trader, rather odious CNBC commentator, the guy who launched the Tea Party back in 2009 by blaming the, quote, losers who couldn't pay their mortgage bills. He said last Last week, that instead of quarantines, maybe we'd be just better off if we gave it to everybody and then in a month it would be over because the mortality rate of this probably isn't going to be any different if we did it that way than the long term picture. But the difference is we're re- wreaking havoc on global and domestic economies. There are some things that don't even uh, deserve a response, <laughs> frankly. A sociopathic. Um, uh, well, the idiocy of uh, so much of our daily life right now, of course, with a psychopathic president to, to start, Indeed. Uh, has uh, meant that the, the nature of our discussion is is tragically sad. Mm. And uh, we go along with it. Uh, we don't. Uh, many of us are aghast every uh, yeah. day. But uh, it's tolerated as long as the stock market is uh, booming. Uh, yes. Now, the that stock is the market prism is- that we seem to see so much of the world through in this country. Now the stock market uh, is uh, in a tailspin because they're recognizing stimulus or not, interest rate cuts or not, tax cuts or not. We are in a very, very serious crisis right now. There is no easy answer to this pandemic wave. Agreed. This is the real issue. There was a headline in the New Republic magazine the other day referring to Santelli's uh, ridiculous comments under the headline, quote, the invisible hand wants you dead. 
uh, which might sound like left-wing hyperbole, but right now it feels kind of true. I think, uh, of course, again, it's unpleasant to listen to people who know nothing talking about life and death issues. So it's just unpleasant to begin with. But what is also true is given the state of affairs right now, uh, we have a really deep, deep crisis. Uh, It's a crisis of lives. It's a crisis of health. And no matter what is done, uh, it is also a crisis of the economy that's very deep and that none of the traditional measures uh, such as they are, which don't work very well in, in any circumstance, yeah, don't, yeah, are, right now. are appropriate right now. You say a crisis of lives. Just on that note, I interviewed a top epidemiologist recently uh, who's at Harvard uh, who said that the likes of Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, prime minister in the UK, who clearly haven't taken this pandemic seriously, who haven't committed the resources or attention necessary, he said they could have blood on their hands. Would you go as far as that? I uh, believe that uh, even Trump's uh, policies on climate change uh, is uh, a crime against humanity because it is leading to loss of lives and a grave, grave damage to vast numbers of people. I believe that uh, Trump's sanctions uh, on uh, countries like Venezuela and Iran, which cripple their health systems yes. and then lead to mass suffering is a crime against humanity. And uh, of course, with this pandemic, uh, this government has to be judged uh, on its uh, incompetence, uh, its venality, uh, its uh, ignorance, uh, and uh, it will add to our costs and our dangers uh, uh, absolutely uh, in in an enormously depressing and significant way. Just just shifting gear, but sticking with the economy, I also hear people, everyone from the Trump administration to the CDC to Barack Obama on Twitter saying, if you feel sick, if you think you're infected, stay home, don't go to work, which is easy to say if you can afford it. But in a country like the US, one of the only industrialized countries on earth, which doesn't guarantee paid sick leave, a lot of people can't afford to just stay home. So they're going to go to work out of necessity and then spread the virus. But even staying home requires uh, access to medicines, to uh, social uh, support systems, to food deliveries, to testing. None of of that is in place uh, because we don't have such support systems in this country. Every man for himself. Fend for yourself. This is the tragedy. In your CNN online piece headlined The Trump Administration's Ludicrous Approach to Coronavirus Vaccine, you discuss, and you mentioned him at the top, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar and his statement recently, not just about kind of let the markets do their thing. He said, Frankly, this has such global attention right now, and the private market players, major pharmaceutical players, as you've heard, are engaged in this. The market here, we believe, will actually sort that out in terms of demand purchasing, stocking, et cetera. We'll work on that to make sure that we're able to accelerate vaccine as well as therapeutic um, research and development. Can you translate what he's saying? What on earth is he trying to say there? Well, it's like a Saturday Night Live opening, isn't it? It, uh, You would think that it's a spoof. Uh, I had to read that uh, several times to believe it. What he is saying is uh, that, as usual, Our government, uh, through uh, a wonderful institution, the National Institutes of Health, will promote scientific discovery 
uh, will spend money on a vaccine as it should. But then uh, whatever is learned will be handed over to private companies uh, and uh, they will develop a vaccine and then uh, charge what they want because that's the American <laughs> system. So he was asked in Congress uh, specifically, uh, Mr. Secretary, could you guarantee that a vaccine would be affordable? Uh, and he said, no, I can't because the market will determine the price of the vaccine. Even in a pandemic? In a pandemic and in a case explicitly where the research and development is being funded by the U.S. government. It shows, well, Socialism course, for the rich, as you, as you quoted Bernie saying. And Azar, of course, surprise, surprise, breaking news, is a former drug industry lobbyist. This is exactly his job and is exactly his job qualification. That's why he has this job. All across our government, Trump has put literally lobbyists uh, you don't have to lobby anymore. They're in the position itself. <laughs> Drain the swamp. So, um, exactly. In your piece, you also mention how FDR, uh, who suffered from polio, set up a publicly funded initiative to try and get a cure for polio, which worked. What lessons do you think we could draw from that today? I mean, putting aside the fact that the Trump administration has no interest in learning from FDR, but what lessons can the rest of us learn uh, when it comes to getting ready for a potential coronavirus vaccine? Franklin Roosevelt was the greatest president uh, in American history uh, and uh, also a remarkable human being and a great inspiration because, uh, of course, he uh, had a, uh, a crippling bout with polio. Uh, and in 1938, as the polio epidemic was spreading across the United States, he launched uh, at that time uh, a non-governmental effort uh, called the March of Dimes, which uh, took uh, donations from the public uh, and uh, used that to fund uh, Jonas Salk's uh, pathbreaking research, which produced the polio vaccine. And as I uh, quote in that CNN piece, uh, when Edward R. Murrow of CBS uh, News uh, asked uh, Salk, so who owns the patent uh, on your vaccine? Uh, Salk gave a very famous, wonderful answer. He said, well, uh, it would be the people. Uh, could you patent the sun? Yes. It was just self-evident uh, back in the early 1950s that this was a public good for a urgent public yeah. need. So given your quoting of Jonas Salk there, is it fair to say that there's Azar, who says the market should decide the price and the availability of the vaccine. There's House Speaker Nancy Pelosi who said, well, it should be affordable. And then there's Bernie Sanders who says it should be free. You think it should be free, paid for by the government for everyone? Of course, because if and when we have such a vaccine, it needs also to be uh, implemented in a public health manner, yes. not in a private over-the-counter choice of a consumer. Because we need everyone is, to get it. There's no point just getting it for yourself. You need, it's in your interest for everyone else to get it. It's a so-called mass action effect that we want a mass uh, immunization uh, against pandemic diseases. Uh, so this is a collective uh, shared uh, necessity, not an individual the choice of uh, over-the-counter product. It's unbelievable how hard it is uh, to uh, for for American politicians, other than Bernie, 
to think in these terms because it's been so many years that we have lost this basic idea of the public good and the idea of government for the public good, which is an absolutely fundamental and correct idea. Do you think this coronavirus panic will force, finally force some politician at least, to take a stand against price gouging and patent exploitation by big pharma in this country? I mean, just a few months ago, Joe Biden was praising them as, quote, great drug companies out there, except for a couple of opioid outfits. The scandal of the drug pricing, uh, even without uh, a pandemic, is uh, terrifying. Uh, Over and over again, what we're now observing in this shocking way in the discussion about the coronavirus vaccine actually plays out, uh, where the federal government puts in lots of resources. Uh, Lo and behold, the intellectual property, so-called, becomes... uh, private property. It's patented. Uh, There is then legally, uh, by construction, a monopoly. And then that monopolist charges 10, 100, even a thousand times the cost of production, causing mass suffering and mass loss of lives. And uh, that's considered normal. I can give you uh, one case Uh, which I followed uh, closely, Uh, Gilead, one of my least favorite companies uh, in this country, uh, markets uh, a uh, very effective uh, cure against hepatitis C. Now, it bought that from another company that did all of the uh, basic research on that, but it bought it knowing that it was going to charge an unbelievable price, 1,000 times the production costs per pill. And it has gotten away with that. Uh, You're a Sanders supporter. Given the results this week, especially in Michigan, how disappointed are you that Bernie hasn't been able to get the turnout, the votes needed to beat Joe Biden to secure the Democratic presidential nomination this time either, despite all the energy at his rallies, despite all the grassroots support for his policies like Medicare for All, despite all the genuine anger that is out there, with the political economic system in this country, and yet it hasn't translated into victory at the ballot box again. Look, uh, if uh, Joe Biden is the nominee, I'm going to very strongly support him. But I'm going to continue to support uh, Bernie Sanders as a great man uh, and a great leader uh, and uh, our most honest and direct politician in this country uh, who has been calling it straight and right for decades and whose policy positions we need to win. But why do you think he didn't cut through? Is there something in the culture of this country that just resists what you've talked about in this interview, the idea of government for the greater good? Well, I think uh, a lot of the uh, Democratic Party itself uh, obviously has its handout uh, to the corporate sector. Uh, The uh, mainstream media have been horrible. Uh, The New York Times and uh, the Washington Post writing anti-Bernie pieces every day. Unbelievable. And almost never actually on the policies, only on his electability or the word uh, socialist or some nonsense, uh, rather than a serious discussion, which we urgently need. Bernie Sanders uh, is a historic figure, and he absolutely... uh, is making a historic change in this country. These are policies actually supported by a large majority of Americans, even 
the Americans that are not voting for Bernie. They support the policies. That's true. And and this is our this is why we have the chance uh, to continue to follow Bernie to the success of his agenda, even if he doesn't make it to the White House. And in terms of who makes it to the White House, one last question briefly. How likely do you think a Trump re-election is at this point? Will a coronavirus recession stop him? I have to believe the American people will stop him and would have stopped him even without the coronavirus. Uh, This man is absolutely uh, a psychopath uh, and the most incompetent and dangerous person ever to hold this office in the history of the United States. He is a danger to us every day he is in office and we have the opportunity and the necessity to do something about it uh, on election day. Jeffrey Sachs, thanks so much for joining me on Deconstructed. Uh, Well, great to be with you. Thanks so much. That was Professor Jeffrey Sachs of Columbia University, a proud supporter of Bernie Sanders there, as you heard. He's the author of the forthcoming book, The Ages of Globalization, which comes out in June. And that's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps new people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. 